0: This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two just spectacular human beings who I'm going to see in less than a week. I can't even believe it. Paul Jaceley. Hello. And Renee Rodriguez. What now? I'm just getting high. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for being on the show this week. I, I'm genuinely excited. I cannot express my excitement well enough over this audio medium. We are going to be hanging out at C2E2 this year in less than a week. Like, That's right. In seven days' time, we have already hu- we would have already hung out for, like, four days. It's crazy. I'm so excited. Um, but beyond that, <laughs> we're here to talk about a couple of things, and one of those things is comic books. So let me ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul.
1: Uh, hey, Mike. Um, I've been doing pretty well. I'm getting prepped for the big C2E2 weekend uh, coming yes, up. Yes, um, I've been very busy, I feel like, so I haven't read a ton of comics, and it's always funny, like... Uh, comic books are obviously something I read as enjoyment, as distraction, or my hobby, and sometimes you feel like it's a chore, like, man, I haven't read any comics, I gotta make time to do it, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: sure we've all been there, but... Pencil I that th- into your schedule and say, well, for these two hours, I'm reading comic books this week.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I made some time, uh, this morning, actually, to read some comics, uh, and luckily, there are very good comic books that I read, so... Nice! Um, the ones I want to talk about briefly are Justice League, number 19, It's written by Scott Snyder, with art by Jorge Jimenez... I've really been enjoying Scott Snyder's um Justice League series so far. It feels very it's a cool thing that a lot of writers do uh some writers do very well where it's like it feels like a retro story but it's told in a contemporary way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it has a very silver age vibe to it. Of course, early in his run, he gets the Legion of Doom back together, you know, so nice. it's, it's sp- talking to my childhood, you know, with the Super Friends and Justice yeah, League. Yeah. So uh and this issue in particular is interesting because um the whole run, the whole series so far has been about the just like dealing with the fact that the source wall was compromised, and these dark energies from outside the source wall are threatening to destroy the multiverse. Oh, no. They're so desperate for help that they try to enlist the assistance of one of Superman's greatest enemies, mister Mixes Mixez-Pitalik, the imp from yes. the Fifth Dimension.
2: What? Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, Mike. Oh, Mike, you have no idea. Yo, um,
0: you don't know me. about
2: Mixez-Pitalik? listen.
0: I know. I got (laughs) to fix this. This sounds insane.
1: Yeah. So, uh, long story short, well, I mean, it wasn't a long story, but uh, basically what happens is they find out that the Fifth Dimension, where Mr. Mix's Pitalik lives, is also under threat of destruction. He tells them they need to go to the Sixth Dimension (gasps) for assistance. And uh, he creates a doorway. Superman walks through the doorway. He's the only one that can survive the trip to the Sixth Dimension. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, uh, about... A minute later, he comes back out, but it's an older Superman with a different suit, and he brings the Justice League through the door and shows them the future. It's bonkers. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes. That's the kind of high-concept stuff I want from a Justice League comic. It looks lovely. I like Jorge Menez's art a lot. This is a really, really fun comic. If you haven't checked it out, and you want some kind of wacky but still grounded superhero stuff, it's fantastic.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: And then um, I had a nice surprise in my pull box when I went to the comic shop last week a new issue of paper girls. I feel like it'd been uh, about six months since I've seen an issue of paper girls, you know? (laughs) Um, and it was about five months. I think I looked up when the last issue came out. What's funny is that that book, I very rarely go back to get caught up on it, but I never feel super lost, even though the book is bonkers at times what's Mm -hmm. happening in it. Um, but it was a nice to revisit that. I, I think Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chiang, the fact that they've done this book and it's been the same creative team for, you know, 26 issues now. And it feels like there's no end in sight. The, the story just keeps going and getting bigger and crazier as it goes. It's kind of what I wanted from Saga. But, you know, I'm one of those people that kind of gave up on Saga at a right, certain point. Right. This book feels like a lot more satisfying to me. Um, I'm only comparing them because of the same writer, I guess, but something about that story of Paper Girls, the fact that it still feels like a cohesive unit, even though it's been a few years, it has been breaks between issues, and it is a, frankly, mind-boggling story, it's still a satisfying read every time an issue lands in my pull box, so it was great to see, and I, I really enjoyed this issue a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm a few issues behind on that. I think that they recently announced that that book was ending though wait, so what? there wait, is some end in sight I, I don't remember what the issue number was but i think that they announced that the book was ending so okay. some, somehow things are going to get wrapped up i'm i <laughs> gotta catch up
1: well yeah i mean seeing how they're going to la- stick the landing you know for this story that's pretty exciting you know if yeah. there's a definitive ending in mind i can't wait to see the what sort of tricks they pull out of their hat to make it work
0: yeah same here renee what about you how have you been how have uh, comics been Or in your case, probably just manga, from what I can see in our notes. (laughs) Um,
2: Okay, well, first of all, I did actually pick up some comics, like American comics. I picked up some some Superman, uh, the Brian Michael Bendis stuff. And I also picked up a random issue from, I don't remember what year this was. Oh, it's from ninety seven. So it's after Superman comes back to life, you know, and it's right before mm-hmm. he gets his energy suit. Okay. And so it's, right. the, it's the issue where that happens. And it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it literally says on the cover, the adventures of Superman, new wife, new powers, new home. And I was like, <laughs> I'm in. And so yes. Because I don't know if I've told you guys this, but one of my favorite runs in Superman was when there was Superman Red and Superman Blue. And I believe that was in Adventures of Superman Um, Mm -hmm. It was one of the first comics I had as a kid, and it's great. So I was like, oh, yeah, grabbing that. It's dope. Nice. But I haven't read it yet, so sorry. But even though I've been busy, comics have been really good. I've been able to just go get some. But uh, what I read this past week was uh, Kakaishi Volume 23, which is one of my favorite manga. Uh, It's by Yellow Tanabe, and it's about these. They're they're basically mages, but they Are like specialists. They basically create barriers and they're able to destroy demons. It's about these two kids that protect a holy site. And uh, it just kind of veers off from there. It's super interesting. I love it. Highly recommend it. And I just had picked up a random volume at my comic shop, um, as well as a random volume of another one of my favorite uh, comic or manga called Shaman King by Hiroyuki Takei. And Uh, Shaman King is uh, literally about a bunch of people that can see ghosts and they get spirit partners and they're all battling to become the next Shaman King who then merges with the King of Spirits who then sort of um, creates the path for humanity for the next 500 years. Um, Yeah, how's that? Yeah, so basically they – like anytime there's a messianic figure or whatever that shows up in history, they're like, oh, yeah, that was the Shaman King of that time. Um, it's a really good series. It starts out kind of like, you know, silly and, and like kiddish or whatever, like most, um, shown manga do, but then it gets real intense later on. Like, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much everyone, I can't spoil this. It's, it's a really good series. Go read it. Okay. Um, okay. and then I got into this new series, um, that's currently running, um, in Shonen Jump right now. It's called Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaba. Or mm-hmm. Yaiba, uh, and it's by Kiyoharu Gotuge, I think is how you say it. Um, and it's about this kid whose family is m- wiped out by a demon, except for his younger sister, who is turned into a demon. And so he decides to become a demon slayer <laughs> and find a cure for her.
0: Okay, okay.
2: It's, yeah, right? Like, it sounds outrageous, but it's the art is beautiful. It's, yeah,
0: I've seen some of that in the weekly Shonen Jump. It looks very, very good.
2: It looks so cool, and honestly, the way that they do the the fighting styles for all the different demon slayers of the world is super interesting. Um, if you like samurai and like magic and stuff, it's 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 a pretty Shonen series, but it's kind of dope. Sure. I read I read cool. through six volumes in like one night, so I mean, it's really wow. Good.
0: Okay. That's that's intense, dude. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, you know, I read some more chapters of My Hero Academia, and I'm almost caught up, which I can't even believe. I'm so excited. Have you met uh, Hawks yet? Oh, yes. You. Yeah! <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Uh, that's a whole other discussion. Um, and I did start reading Dr. Stone. I'll tell you that. Brene, Woo! again, n- another discussion just for you. Uh,
2: <laughs> Let's make a mini-soda battle. I know.
0: This, honestly, that's a whole... We could do that. I think we should. Um. For me, though, I read a couple books this week. Uh, I've been kind of up and down trying to read comics. I've mostly just been reading manga because it's so accessible with this stupid Shonen Jump app. It's so easy to just get into something. And by stupid, Um, he
2: means rad. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it, it truly is. It is an unparalleled experience for reading comics, and I have to applaud the people over at Viz for... And and Sheshua over in Japan for doing such a good job and making it so easy to get into manga, just from the like you open the app and you tap a button and you're reading. It's so seamless. Um, but anyways, let me let me talk about some Western comics that I read. Um, I did read Age of X Men, Prisoner X Number One, because Age of X Men is upon us and will be on upon us for the next five to six months, and so. Best not get sick of me talking about it. This is Vita Ayala and Herman Peralta, I believe, or Herman. Herman, thank you. Um, this is the story about Bishop who is in jail because he loves Jean Gray. Because <laughs> that's where we're at in the state of comic books. You can't be in a physical romantic relationship with anybody because that's apparently against the rules. The according to the Battle of the Atom podcast, which I love, those guys are great over there. Uh, their whole shtick with this is that. Uh, X-Man, a.k.a. Nate Gray, is an incel, and since he can't find anybody <laughs> to love him, nobody can love anybody. <laughs> that's that's what he did in this Age of X-Man, which I think is really funny. Um, but the story is about Bishop. He goes to jail, um, which we saw in the Age of X-Man one-shot, if you read that. And upon arrival, he starts meeting all these people that he'd never seen before that are in the jail, such as um, Gabby, a.k.a. Honey Badger. This is like X-23's quote-unquote younger sister slash clone, um, Polaris, Danny Moonstar, Beast. And he keeps bumping into these people and having flashbacks to a time that, and as far as he's concerned, in the age of X-Men, never happened but we're actually seeing flashes of the real world of the 616 universe and so he doesn't know what to do about it and the end of the issue has got a fun little twist about hey man maybe those things that you're seeing actually is real and so we're starting to see the age of x-men in this book fall apart and i like that because as you if you've been reading along like i have not not everything is as perfect as portrayed maybe um like they live in a utopia and everything is great but there are just little cracks along the edges that we're starting to see kind of grow slower and s- slowly and slowly and slowly, very slowly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really interesting how um, all of these writers are in this circle writing all of these Age of X-Men books um, under this umbrella of, hey, here are some tenants you have to follow. But at the end of the day tell the story that you want to tell that gets us to an end point where we can do this one shot ending I think that's how things are gonna play out and it's it's been really interesting to read I think this is how crossover should be done in my opinion because age of uh, age of x-men is independent of everything else like if you're reading uncanny x-men you don't need to know anything about age of x-men other than that it's happening right and that was like the the culmination of issue 11 I believe it was or maybe issue 10 was hey, the Age of X-Men is ha- happening. Issue 11 starts, totally different storyline. And while it's, they're happening at the par- in parallel timelines, kind of, if you're just reading Uncanny, you're literally not missing anything. And I think that that's such a great way to do things. Um, I, I can ramble on about this every single week, and I'm gonna every single week. So that's this has been your Age of X Man update from Mike Rappin. Uh, the other book that I did read that I want to talk about, um, Paul or Renee. Unless you guys have some questions or comments, <laughs> well, I, just I'm have just a I have a Mike, I have I have lot comment. of questions. <laughs> okay, let's start with let's start with Renee's comment, and then we'll get to Paul's question.
2: <laughs> Danny Moonstar sounds like something from JoJo's Bizar- JoJo's Bizarre Adventure because like all the main characters come from the Joestar family. So I was like, oh, "Danny Moonstar okay. sounds like you know Joseph Joestar. and I was just like, "That's that's too funny."
0: <laughs> yeah, I, or Dan, Danny Danielle. I don't know. She's Moonstar. She's she's really cool. X Men character from New New Mutants, I believe. Moonstar. Paul, you had a question. You had a question.
1: <laughs> you know, Mike. My, my questions. What's I'll I'll table my questions for now. We might have to do an episode where you finally explain to me. Everything about the X Men, because uh, every time you talk about it, I feel like I understand less. It, that's it, not, I, that's it,
2: not one episode. That's like a series. Mean, I know. <laughs> it, it just well,
1: reminds me. It reminds me of when I was a young lad uh, in the late '90s, and I tried to read X Men comics, and I felt completely mind boggled by it. Yeah. None of it made any sense, and I'm glad that it hasn't changed. In you know. 25 years.
2: <laughs> I've already got the title well, for this miniseries. It's called Explicit with Mike Rappin. Yes, <laughs> Explicit yeah. with Mike Rappin. I got it.
0: I dig it. That'll be our next Patreon <laughs> series. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be the minisode series that we do this summer. It'll just be me talking to one person on the show about X-Men and just yeah. answering all their questions. I love right. that idea. Yeah. Um, otherwise, and then there'll be a manga episode just because we have to. Right. But let me let me just real quick go through this other book that I read. It's called Hog Butcher. Uh, it's by Letty Wilson. It's a Comicsology Submit book that I kind of picked up on a whim. I thought the cover looked really pretty. I thought the preview pages looked really pretty. And so I just picked it up on a whim. And this is just a one-man, a one-person uh, show that they're just creating this book. It's like a 28-page one-shot. Uh costs two bucks if you're interested. I highly recommend it. Um, the story is about this hog butcher who sees this ghostly figure in the night, as one night when he's out working in his farm. And they give him a watch. And without going too much further into the details of the story, this watch kind of leads this man on a spiritual journey. And it's a very short kind of ephemeral ending um, in the way that things kind of end up in the story. But the thing that really blew me away in this book, and I really implore you guys to go buy this because it's worth every cent, is the watercolor work in this book is impressive. It is so smartly done in that there's a lot of heavy line work in the book. And so you'll get pages where like a mood is trying to be evoked. So there's just a lot of really dark, vibrant colors um, Mm -hmm. to evoke how the character is feeling or how the scene is supposed to feel. And then there was a couple pages near the end that just floored me in terms of the, the way that the watercolors were used to portray something larger than what the character was actually seeing and hmm. I, I did a couple rereads of the, the last probably 10 pages of this book, and I just noticed it more and more and more, like just these subtle little things that the the artist was doing, that Letty Wilson was doing with the painting. And I I really, really can't recommend this anymore because it's it's so good. And I, just for, for a simple like one-off nobody, I've never heard of this person, I just happened to see it featured or something, or it was in the new releases list on Comixology. I picked mm-hmm. it up for two bucks, and it was worth every penny so if you got a second you want to try something that's really really out there not a superhero book kind of just strange indie film esque. i highly recommend hog butcher um, from letty wilson but you sold me mike you sold me i see here two bucks two bucks it's great can't beat that honestly you had me at hog butcher (laughs) (laughs) uh cool well let's move on let's talk about comics that are coming out this upcoming week comic books are dropping on march 20th 2019 Let's talk about what you guys are excited for this upcoming week. Let's start with you, Renee.
2: Uh, well, I am excited for a, a newish kind of manga called uh, Hell Warden Higuma, and uh, Chapter 12 is dropping this week. Actually, technically, if you have the uh, Shonen Jump or Viz app or account, it drops later today. So, probably going to read that today. <laughs> But um right, right. it's a brand new series only 12 chapters or only 11 chapters have been released uh when we're recording this and it's literally about this kid who is charged by the prince of the underworld to send escaped souls back to hell and he has all kinds of he when he ever he captures these demons he gains the powers that they have uh, so he uses all these different powers to capture the other spirits and it's pretty short right now but it's really good and I'm really excited to see where it goes um, and like does
0: this feel like a series that like the shonen jump people are pushing really hard like they're trying to make this into the next big thing or is it just a, like another one of the kind of middling books that exists in the jump uh, weekly book
2: um, I think it feels it feels like pretty middle of the road right now. Like it's and okay. I, I hadn't seen a whole big push about it. I saw there was like one like when the third chapter came out, they were like, "Hey, this is a brand new thing that you should read." There's only three chapters out right now. They're yeah. all free to read, and that's yeah. how I got into it. Um, but it seems very middle of the road because I think a lot of people looking at it will be like, "Oh, they'll read it." they be like, "It's kind of like Yu Yu Hakusho," and. It does kind of seem that way at first, like in theory, but it's a very different series. And um, it's just very interesting because the amount of souls that he has to capture, they actually put a number on it. So it's like, oh. Oh, nice. So it's like he can only go against these. And then the it's progressed pretty fast with the darkness of it and the, the character of Higuma is very very interesting and I really like the world and the art is also fantastic. The battle scenes are really good. Um, It was kind of a surprise because I thought it was just kind of be like one of those books where I'm like, oh, you know, it's, it's just one of the ones that are fun to read after I read the ones that I'm really excited for, but it's Mm -hmm. slowly creeping up to be one of those series that I'm just like, yes, I am really looking forward to the new chapter because I want to know what's going to happen next. And yeah. we're only 12 chapters in, basically.
0: That's exciting. I, I am noticing a little bit of a trend. Do you like books about demons, Renee? <laughs> Here's the thing. I
2: don't. I actually. Demons are my biggest fear. So, See, but I feel mm.
0: like you're like, you've read Demon Slayer, you're reading this Hell Warden book, you've read Tokyo Ghoul, you're reading, like, a
2: couple other okay. things. I
0: know you are reading Bleach. Like.
2: The ghouls are not demons, first of all. Okay,
0: okay, okay. Uh,
2: but you're right. No, it's just kind of the statement because in uh, Japan, they have Shintoism. So. Uh, or yeah. So Mm -hmm. like there's that whole sort of spiritual aspect that is just born into the culture. So it's like, you know, monsters and demons are a real thing that they fully believe in. So it's, it's bred into the culture. A lot of people know these, especially kids. They know all these stories and myths about it. So it's something they can relate to and they know of, and then you're getting different, you know, versions of it and different explanations and all these different things. Um, so it's like that's that's just it's just very commonplace to have those. It's, yeah, in it's there.
0: a popular thing. I mean, I'm just I'm just poking fun at you, Renee. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. I know you've got you've got a whole plethora of manga that you're into. It's not just demon stuff. It just happens to be this week. That's it all. just
2: well, I mean, yeah. It just happens that there's a lot. Like, I mean, there's also what there's a lot of stories that deal with shinigami as well. You know? Yeah. And Ex- yeah. like, I mean, there's a series I read called Blue Exorcist. They deal with demons in that one too, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. great. But if, if you look at the translation for a lot of them, they use the same words for monster slash demon a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. So yeah I've like, seen
0: that in some of the other manga that I've read before. Yeah. And it's just because
2: that's just bred into the into the culture. But um, gotcha. it's just that these stories, like despite the fact that I don't like thinking about demons, like generally, mm-hmm. honestly, any of those Exorcist like movies, if there's a trailer, I literally put it on mute and I scroll away from it or I'll leave the room. Right, right demons freak me out but like if the story's good i'll be like you know what i'll sit through this and i especially in manga i'm like i know the demons aren't gonna win you know
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Right, that is, that is always a safe yeah, bet That's not a
2: guarantee in the exorcist or in any right. western horror movie with demons <laughs> right
0: i don't need gotcha. that on
2: my conscience
0: understandable understandable Paul, what about you? What are you excited for this week? Is it a demon book? Uh, unfortunately, no. I scoured my pull list, and there's no demon
1: books coming out gotcha. this week for me. But okay, okay. <laughs>
0: well, maybe, maybe
1: demons in the metaphorical sense, you know, sort of Ooh. personal demons, right? Because I'm excited for a Criminal Number 3, right? Ah, that works. That works. Um, very bad people doing bad things to each other. That's what Criminal's all about, and I'm glad the series is back. Uh, Brubaker, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, they never disappoint me, at least, um, so this is the second part of the Longest Weekend uh, story that started in issue number two. What's interesting about this volume of Criminal is like, you know, they started with a, an issue set, I think in the late 70s with Teague Lawless, Teague Lawless for the character from the original uh, Criminal run. Mm-hmm. And then the second issue was like a huge leap forward. It is set in, I think, 2016. And it's about Teague's son, Tracy, having to be like a handler at a Comic-Con. He's basically the uh, personal assistant of a an old comic book creator from the 60s who's fallen on some hard times. And That's what this story is about. So it's interesting how the book is leaping around time-wise. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that idea.
1: Yeah. So he's kind of basically uh, Tracy Lawless is um taking care of this older creator whose name I'm blanking on, of course, at the moment. But um the guy is, you know, he drinks too much. Uh, he's got a lot of gambling debts. He has to pay back to some people that, you know, demand their money. Um, So this Tracy's in way over his head trying to deal with this cantankerous old comic book creator who, uh, uh, did some pretty bad things in the past, so it's a pretty entertaining book. You know, you kind of know what you're getting with Criminal at this point. You know, yeah. it's not the most surprising book. I just, I feel like Brewbreaker and Phillips are constantly pushing the ways that they tell their stories. You know, mm-hmm. between leaping around in the timeline for this series and the stuff that they've done on the recent other series like Killer Be Killed, there's some interesting storytelling choices going on here. And I just, it's interesting to see creators that are so good they could probably coast by. But they're constantly challenging themselves and think of new ways to tell these sort of stories uh, that yeah. they do so well. So yeah, I absolutely love Criminal. I'll I'll read this book as long as it comes out. So I'm always excited to see it on my list.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to to read it in trade. I'm I'm mm-hmm. trade waiting this because I have the rest of it in trades and like sure. I want to keep my collection like that. And I've always enjoyed reading that book in a in a collected edition. It's like sitting down with a good pulp novel, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I think that that is also what Brubaker is going for. Like he's like. <laughs> Somebody needs to be making pulp. Someone needs to be making stories like this. Exactly. And I really appreciate that him and Phillips are like on the same board, on the same like level in trying to create those stories. So I'm, I'm right there with you, Paul. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's nice too, because like Criminal is one of the first books I started reading when I got back into comics oh, about 10 years ago. It was like mm-hmm. when that first volume was coming out. Yeah. I just picked it up on a whim because I like the cover, you know? Um, and then I just, I've stuck with it and just to see it grow and change and become what it is and to see that, that collaboration become so fruitful. It's like the two guys are of the same mind. You know, you can't even think of them as two different creators. It's like one unit making these stories, you know? Yeah. And that's why I think it works so well.
0: Well, I feel like Baker has said multiple times that like, he doesn't even have to give super detailed notes or anything to Sean. Right. He just, he just passes over a script and goes, you know how it's supposed to look. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It makes total
1: sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Cool. Well, for me this week, I am excited for Farmhand number six. It is back, baby. This is Rob Gilroy's book, and I'm hopefully, hopefully, going to be meeting him at C2E2 this year to get him to sign my copies of Farmhand get him to sign the section or circle the section or acknowledge the fact that i wrote him a letter and he printed it um i don't know if that's a thing you do i'm a 30 year old adult who is apparently very excited to meet this very cool comic creator um but (laughs) things are wild and loose in this book i'm i fucking love it from beginning to end in the first volume so many mysteries were unfolded we got one answer and 10 more questions and that's what i love about this series um It's just like Chew in a way, and I don't want to say that this is just a second Chew because it's not, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you like that kind of storytelling, if you like the whole, there is a much bigger story going on here with a lot of small stories underneath that feed into the main story and you get a lot of really interesting character development that's wacky and fun, you're going to love Farmhand. If you're not reading Farmhand, what are you doing with your life? I'm telling you, it's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, The first volume's out, and it's it's a gorgeous volume. It's very thick because these issues are extra long. Um... And I think Rob Gilroy, he puts so much effort into this book. It, it feels like he's giving it 115% every single issue. And there's no drop in quality. There's no anything. He's definitely pacing himself right. Like, issues one through five came out. And then I think he took a three-month break to try to just get ahead. And I'm all for it. Like, I know that Chu had some some scheduling issues when it was coming out. And I'm glad that maybe he's seen that he needs to take his own time with stuff. I'm willing to wait for this book. Um it's it's fantastic it's wacky it's the best kind of humor and mystery that you can ask for um so if you're looking for just a fun solid book from end to end farmhand is the book to read you got to get on it and this next issue i'm so excited i don't even know what's happening next some big (laughs) shit is about to explode i'm sure and we're gonna see living weird plant people animal monsters just like we did in the first volume and i'm (laughs) right here for it So that's me.
1: <laughs> sure. That sounds great. I'll have to track that down. I never yeah. did finish reading Chu, so maybe I'll do that first and then. <laughs> yeah, hop on yeah, this. So, yeah. yeah. We'll see. Did Chu I, I'm
0: still ended? like. Chu did. It did. It ended with volume 12, and I am very close to starting my full reread of the series because mm. I never f- read volume 12 because I told myself that I would read the rest of the volumes to get myself caught up, and I never actually sat down to read it. So I'm going to. I need to do that, I think, after C2E2. It's going to be like, let's do that. Up through the summer and read like one volume every other week on top of Doom Patrol and all this manga and all this crazy stuff <laughs> that I've got. You know, we've got to do a lot of sh- stuff for this show, so I'm just reading comics nonstop. Right, right. I hope you guys appreciate it out there. <laughs> <laughs> for our show this week. We are talking about something that is big and broad, and quite honestly, it is infinite, given some speculations in the scientific community. We're talking about space. And actually, we're talking about space comic books. We're talking about what makes comic books that take place in the outer beyonds of Earth so interesting. What makes them so obsessive? Why do we write so many stories about things that don't happen on Earth I know we already had a very recent episode about comic books that take place not on Earth, but I think what we're going to talk about today is kind of the meta discussion about why people like comics that don't take place on Earth and what really draws people to write stories like that. Um, I've got like a whole bunch of ideas and things written down, but Paul, Rene, let me hear some of your first thoughts about this very, very broad very, very generalized topic. Yeah, I think maybe
1: we could start by uh, sort of uh, focusing on, you know, what we mean by space comics. Because, you know, comics take place on other planets. They're not necessarily in space. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, But, you know, to maybe start the discussion even further back than that, I think that sometimes people get, or the, something that gets lost sometimes in discussions about superheroes or comic books or genre books is that superheroes and comics were kind of born out of, you know, science fiction pulp you know? I mean, the first superhero, Superman, he comes from mm-hmm. another planet. So, it's, it's always been baked yeah. into the concept. Um, and it's interesting to see as the genre evolved, by the time you get to a character like Galactus showing up, that feels like a huge cosmic, you know, leap from let's do books mm-hmm. about gangsters and bad guys to let's talk about the huge cosmic <laughs> yeah. concept. So, in my mind, I think there's always been a place for those types of stories. And what makes comic books so great is that you're only limited by your imagination and what you can draw. So the idea of space is a sort of right. blank canvas where you can have all sorts of craziness, like, you know, planet eating giants, like Galactus comics are the perfect place for those types of stories.
0: Absolutely.
2: Well, I think, I think it's also like that sort of, um, just discovery bone that's in everybody's, like, you know, body. You know, we wanted to go out and find other things, discover new, new places or whatever. And then once we found everything on Earth, it's like, well, what's next? Obviously, it's space. And we did that actually, but we still want to know what's beyond, what's beyond our galaxy. And, you know, we can explore that through comics as a medium. And like Paul said, you know, it's whatever, you're, whatever you can think of. Mm-hmm. Whatever your imagination is. But it's that, I think that's also that idea of like what is out there. We want to find it. What if it's like this or like this or like that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially with Western comics, we've, we as a culture kind of have this need for exploration. At least there, at a time, there was a time where we were constantly trying to explore and find new things. And after, like Renee said, after we've looked at everything on Earth, where do we go from there? And it's, there is no claim to the vastness of space mm-hmm. right there are there's claim to a planet there's claim to a system or something like that and you see a lot of those topics kind of discussed in comics where you've got galactic federations or you've got the shiar empire and x-men you know that are watching over everything and and they somehow monitor things but the vastness of space the exploration piece of it is always an interesting thing, and I think there will always be a comic or multiple comics about that. I mean, whether we're talking about uh, something like an Outer Darkness, right? John Layman's new book right now is literally about a group of people traveling through space, and yes, it's kind of a a, uh, parallel to Star Trek, and it feels like a more twisted Star Trek, but that's okay. I mean, there are Star Trek comics as well, and I think the idea of exploration and travel and the intrigues that come with that is kind of the modern equivalent of, you know, traveling across the great ocean and everyone's dying from, I don't know, scurvy or whatever, but do you have space scurvy? I don't know. Do you eat a space orange for space scurvy? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that's the, the that's the interesting thing. There is this unknown factor that you can only get through exploration and discovery. And I to me, I think that's one of the big pulls for a lot of people when they want to write those stories or when they want to read those stories is about what else could there be show me the most insane thing that you could imagine and kind of coming back to paul's point again but um there is like a i think it like i said in western culture a want or an urge to feel that um escapism by saying i'm not the person actually traveling to space because that's Mm -hmm. scary but i can read a story where i'm in the mindscape of someone that is traveling and trying to trying to explore things as well as the, you know, interpersonal dramas that you get in every kind of story like that. But um, I, I think that's, that's kind of one of the draws.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, you know, I hate to uh, keep, uh, you know, Conflating comic books with the superhero genre because I, I I understand it's a lot broader than that, but I mean you think about yeah. Silver Age comic books in the early '60s. I mean that's right when the space race is happening and space going into outer space was an actual reality at that point. People could actually go, you know, send people to the moon by the end of the decade. So I think that creative that inspired a lot of creativity in people and artists of thinking about well, if we can do this, yeah. like what else can we do? And vice versa, I think that. Comic books as a creative force in the world inspire that type of uh, inspire real life exploration and ideas and concepts. So I think the imaginative part of it, of thinking outside of the box, so to speak, or thinking outside of our little blue sphere that we live on, that's a real powerful idea. And I think comics have really impacted the world by you know giving the giving a physical manifestation to those ideas.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I I know we we've all kind of written. Green Lantern (laughs) at some point in our notes, which is a very obvious pick for discussion about this. And I actually have to credit Renee, you thought of some superhero books that I didn't even consider, such as Silver Surfer, which is the more obvious one um, for space travel, but... I was actually recently listening to a podcast from the Glasgow University Comics Mm -hmm. Group, which is a a fantastic podcast if you want to get some, like, deep academic discussion about comic books. And their most recent episode was all about Green Lantern and about how Green Lantern is kind of a metaphor for U.S., foreign policy sure (laughs) (laughs) and how and how green lantern is a character and i haven't finished the episode yet because i'm really bad at listening to podcasts this one's been out for a little while but I really love this idea that Green Lantern comes about about the same time World War II is ending, and America's trying to find this way to deal with all of these other things and people and places as we come, became a true superpower in the world. Um, and I really like that idea as, like, people are writing these stories to try to write a metaphor for America's foreign policy, and I'm sure, I don't know if that was the actual case for all these older Green Lantern books coming out of the, like, 60s and 70s and stuff, because if... My memory serves me from the episode I listened to. The original Green Lantern was a bit more trippy and a bit more about like this foreign thing. I think like Asian influence thing that gave Green Lantern his power. And then they eventually change it over to more of a cosmic thing. Um, But the cosmic side of it does, in my mind, like that puzzle piece starts to fit together. And I go, oh, that's actually a really interesting way to do commentary on how the United States deals with other countries in a weird way. Um, where you, there are other factions and planets and other things out there, and America being this weird cop in some way, like this police force, which, again, this is a whole big old political <laughs> commentary that we don't have to go completely into, um, is a really interesting way to kind of talk about or have that conversation with everyday readers without necessarily alienating mm-hmm. them and saying, like, look what America's doing! Um, because we don't we don't need to go into that too much. But I thought that was an interesting commentary um, on the idea, because I think... The exploration of space as the great unknown can then re- be reflected back on the exploration of our own planet, um, where everything is found, but we just haven't found it yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we go, you know, you go to these countries, we know that they exist, but we've never actually been there. And when we get there, we're met with either hostility or embracing or uh, anything. Um, I think that's a really cool way to talk about that. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the other hand, Silver Surfer and Galactus are just there to fuck shit <laughs> up. So. <laughs> Maybe it's not the same story well, there. It, it was
1: interesting because you're talking about in terms of, you know, a genre, uh, superheroes or science fiction, those genres exist to serve as reflections of, you know, our everyday world. You know what I mean? The stories just come, don't come out of thin air. Yeah. They become a metaphor for foreign policy or, you know, other, other issues, real life issues. And yeah, the Green Lantern is a mm-hmm. good example of that. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, the Silver Age version of Green Lantern and Hal Jordan, you know, is created by John Broome and Gil Kane, and those guys are science fiction fans before they're superhero fans, you know, so it, it makes sense that they developed yeah. this type of story. And that has always been a fascinating thing to me, is like that is such a weird concept. A guy has a magic wishing ring, but, you know, to expand it out <laughs> to, oh, but he's he was given it by this intergalactic sort of watchdog group, you know, um, the guardians of the universe, right? So it's like this idea of a space cop, and it so it is a genre concept just it it became a superhero uh story at the same time it's i've always kind of found that kind of interesting i was actually going to very much highly recommend as a good space comic the new uh the green lantern by grant morrison and uh liam sharp because that is a very much a weird trippy cosmic kind of book in the way that a lot of the 70s and 80s green lantern books were um I mean the latest issue is him Hal Jordan having to fight his way across a planet of vampires. So I mean that's about as trippy as cool. you get right there. So <laughs> that sounds like yeah. Grant Morrison. <laughs> yep, yep.
0: Yeah.
2: Which don't get but, me wrong, I love Grant Morrison, but at the same time, like we get to issue five in every series and I'm like how did we get here?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that trip with him anytime. But that's a discussion for another another episode, right?
0: Yeah. 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 We've had we've had episodes about Grant Morrison at this point. Um I mean there's a lot of other comic books out there though that aren't maybe necessarily complete metaphors. I mean I was going to bring up yeah. Saga. Saga is a travel book. It's a it's a whole book in itself. Space opera yada, yada yada yada. I mean I know that Brian K. Vaughn is doing some commentary about like uh when with that the type of war where you're just using other people to fight your same wars like i i can't think of what the phrase is for that but um i know that there's commentary there and these people that get stuck in the middle of it and you see constant reflections of like the fallout of this war that doesn't even involve pe- the people who who live on the planet where it's <laughs> happening um and it, you know that's that's a good point at what's happening today in the modern climate but uh there, there are a lot of other things that that can be pointed at you know with a lot of different other books like space Riders is a book that i always recommend to people because it is just a maximum pedal to the metal imagine you're riding your giant cosmic space motorcycle through space you've got black metal (laughs) blasting and you're for some reason wearing just a leather jacket and jeans even though you should be dead (laughs) that's what space Riders is it is just non-stop action it's kind of like It's the thing you need to cleanse your palate after you've been reading a lot of heavy comics. It's just, like, right in your face, and I love it, and the art feels very Kirby-esque. It's got a lot of the crackle. It's got a lot of the things when you think about the wild and intensity of, like, 70s-era space comics all built into a modern book, and it is fantastic from beginning to end, and it's got murder and action and everything you'd want in, like, a just high-energy comic. Um, that's one that I, I really enjoy, and it's that's kind of what I'm thinking about when I'm talking about sure. space comics, like things that just happen otherworldly. And it's it's very interesting, I uh, the way that people write these books, because you couldn't really tell that kind of story maybe here on Earth. Instead, it has to take place out in the vastness of space where there's a lot of room to literally have massive dogfights and stuff like that, um, because the scale of it is right. so big. Right,
1: I think that is really the key, that we keep coming back to in this discussion of what makes space uh, comics appealing or what makes space an interesting, you know, setting for these types of stories is that vastness. You know, you can tell these huge cosmic level stories, you know, that you just can't Mm -hmm. do in other settings. For me, I mean, when you said space comics, the first image that popped into my mind was the double page spread from new gods, number five by Jack Kirby. And it's this, um, I think Mm -hmm. I posted in the show notes. We'll have to put it up. It's a, um, this giant, Huge being that's like chained to an asteroid, and it says he tried to like you know go through the for, the source wall, but was unable to do so. He's dead, but still alive. Every heartbeat takes a billion years. And it's like you can't. That's such an amazing concept that you could not do yeah. on Earth. You know, what I mean that that is a, a mind-expanding stuff there, and I think. I mean, a lot of Kirby's stuff is him pushing his imagination as far as it'll go. That's where he gets stories like the new gods, characters like Galactus, who I think is just a genius level character, one of the most fascinating characters in Mm -hmm. comic history. And it is that idea of something so large, you cannot comprehend it. Um, The Eternals um, and Kirby's adaptation of 2001 A Space Odyssey. You've talked about literally a science fiction comic. Imagine Kirby's imagination running wild with the ideas from the movie 2001. It is amazing,
0: stunning (laughs) stuff. One day, one day, someone will track all those down and we will be able to read yeah, them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, the, I have the reprint of the you know the original adaptation, film adaptation, the big oversized magazine size adaptation. That is an absolutely gorgeous comic book. I would say, you know, at the con this weekend, we'll scour every vendor and see if we can find copies of that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a great idea. Renee, what are, your, what are your thoughts on some space comic stuff? I realize Paul and I have kind of dominated the conversation a little bit here.
2: Uh, that's fine. I've uh, just been adding to my enormous list of uh, <laughs> yeah, I've noticed stuff. that. <laughs> well, I see cause, you like, doing that. Because, like, I can, I can, like, as you guys are talking about stuff, and I was like, oh, right. you said like, Cosmic Motorbike. I was like, oh, that's right, Cosmic uh, Ghost Rider's a thing right now. Right. <laughs> yep,
0: yep. <laughs> you
2: know? And then I also, I was like, oh, right, Lobo and his Space Dolphin, or whatever the heck. <laughs> Forgot about mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I think I think it goes more to, like, what Paul said, like, it's I think we we go to space, especially in Western comics, because we don't really believe in, like, you know, magical or spiritual stuff on the same level as other cultures. And so it's like, we're like, oh, instead of that, it all kind of has to have, like, a scientific-type ground. And it's like, well, aliens are scientific. Sci-fi, it's science fiction. So even though it's fiction, it's still grounded in science or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's yeah, like,
0: or some sort of some sort of meta science yeah, or whatever. Like, even, yeah, if, yeah. even
2: if we can't do it, maybe there is someone else that can. Like, I, right. one of my favorite things is I think it was in Green Lantern Corps uh, a couple years ago. I don't remember who wrote this issue, but it was a uh, there was a Green Lantern. His name is Sodom Yat, and he becomes um, Ion, which means he has like the uh, spirit of will inside of his body. Mm-hmm. It's weird, but he's from a planet from the same solar system as Krypton, mm-hmm. which I can't remember what it is right now, which upsets me, um, but he's from the same solar system. So when he comes to earth or whatever, during the Sinestro core war, the yellow sun gives him the same kind of powers. Although based on like where his planet is, he's not as strong as Superman or some sure. such sure. bullcrap. crap, but the issue opens with him he's laying against the yellow sun he's just letting the flames lick his body cuz it gives him power and he's just enjoying it and i was like that is so damn cool
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
2: you know cuz it, it doesn't hurt him cuz he's basically invincible and he's like yeah this is a wonderful feeling he's just letting it is it's a really cool imagery and it's like you know it's i'm like humans will never be able to do that but like you know yeah. it's there's some kind of Joy that sparked being like, you know, someone else can do that or like in other sci-fi stuff, like, you know, there's something that's created that could let us do that. Like, you know, in, in Tech Jacket, you know, he's got this, you know, kind of suit that lets him become this galactic hero mm-hmm. or, you know, there's ships that take you all across the universe and, yeah. you know, just like that. And it's like, I think that that wonder that something that's like, oh, you know what? It is possible. We're just not there yet. Kind of gives that sort of hope to readers that get from like superhero comics, you know? (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Renee, I think that was an interesting point. You made the idea of, you know, science fiction basically being a type of mythology, you know, for like modern Western culture in a weird way. You know, you think about 20th century fiction um, and particularly like comic books or movies, like that science fiction becomes a sort of mythology. And I think we see that obviously in Kirby's New Gods. He's literally telling a mythological story with that stuff. And I think um, Jim Starlin's Warlock comics, we know where he introduces Thanos and um, Gamora and all these characters and Adam Warlock as a character. That is a sort of, you know a metaphor for human existence. So Adam Warlock is this character who eventually slowly turns evil and he realizes it and he has to kill his future self to save the the world. Like it's so high <laughs> concept and it's so just a yeah. metaphor for what Jim Saran thinks about human evolution and you know humans as a species. But it's told in this amazing, just technicolor, mind-bending, cosmic way that makes it sort of accessible. Where it, I think, if you were told a more straightforward version of that same story, it'd be too depressing, or it would be wouldn't have the same impact, you know. So a character like Thanos, I mean, is rooted in the idea of a death drive and you know human eventual destruction of the planet in a weird way. But you know, Mm -hmm. I I think it's an easier way to tell that story by giving that character that sort of you know that, that presence, that cosmic sense.
2: Yeah, that kind of also reminds me of uh, Kane the Conqueror, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because like Kang's like all like I'm gonna destroy this or whatever. And he's this, he seems like this alien, and then like you know, eventually through Young Avengers, you know, Iron Lad is like the past version of Kang the Conqueror, and he's like determined to not turn into him, but then eventually he does through his own stupidity and mm-hmm. stubbornness. But it's like, you know, it's a different kind of thing. where instead of he decide like Adam Warlock decides he has to kill his future self. Instead, Iron Lad's like, well, I'm just not going to become him. And then through that process, becomes him. Right, right. (laughs) The hubris. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Hubris!
2: (laughs)
1: But yeah, I mean, I think the... That Adam Warlock stuff, the Jim Starlin stuff. I mean, the idea of the cosmic, you know, the Infinity Gems is, and I'm always going to call them gems. And stones just doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> they're, they're gems. Oh no, I get right. that. I, agree. I get
2: like, there's even a yeah. game that's called like, in like, I think it's called Infinity War, and in it, they were like, you have to get the Infinity Gems. Yeah, I'll get you. It Feels it's right.
0: right. It's like, gems feels right because they look right, like gems. Right. If they were stones, they wouldn't be that exactly. colorful. I mean, I'm like, sure. let's just be honest here. <laughs> I'm sure there's some
2: geologist that's like, well, I don't know, Mike, technically. But, right. you know, if you're out there, bring them on. If you're out we'll there, have a give debate. Him, Mike <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, But I just, I love that sort of that feels like a very cosmic, you know, space centric sort of idea. It's like, oh, there's these primal sort of energies that are embodied in these gems. And it's like, that's the type of stuff I, I've, I think why we gravitate toward these, these type of cosmic or space. I, I say I'm using space and cosmic interchangeably now, but those types of stories, because, you know, that those ideas are so large that they can only be told, you know, in outer space, I guess.
0: Yeah,
2: honestly, well, they're rooted
0: in the beyond, right? right? They're like all of these stories; they don't take place usually on a single mm-hmm. planet or a single thing. They usually take place in the midst between the right. planets. Like if they visit, if in comics like this, if they visit a planet, it's temporarily, like because they have an, a, a bigger goal somewhere else, and maybe that is on another planet. But the majority of the story, I think, is told through travel. It's told through the big vastness of the right. beyond. Um, and I, I always, I think, that's what. Is makes these different makes this topic in general different than the comics that takes place anywhere than earth anywhere other than earth because I think that the travel aspect of it is a key point of it like the movement right. through space through the yeah. beyond is is core to it yeah
1: I mean and, and another book that came to mind in that regard is Southern Cross by Becky Cloonan and Andy Ballinger where that book was literally you know uh, a mining caravan traveling through space. So, the whole book takes place yeah. on the spaceship. You don't really go outside. They don't, you know, arrive on the planet. It's like it's the the emptiness of space. You could tell the same story, I guess, you know, in a Western setting where you're traveling across the plains, you know, to get somewhere. But there's something a lot more cooler about being on a spaceship in outer space, you know?
0: Like, yeah. There's an extra level of, like, suspense right. because if something goes wrong on the thing that you're traveling in, that's it. Exactly. Right.
1: It, it, so that, I mean, that makes us, I think, as humans sort of face our smallness in a way, you know, sometimes it's good to be put in yeah, your place yeah. and the idea of a huge cosmic out there kind of like, it, it's a good reminder of you know, our real place in the universe, not to get too uh, yeah. too deep, but.
2: I, th- I think that's funny <laughs> yeah. that you bring that up though, because at the same time, like, in, especially in Green Lantern and like Guardians and all these things, like anytime you go to another planet, you they always kind of emphasize, like, the human character being like, "Oh, I guess we're not so different after all. So it's like, we find our place in the world, but at the same time, we're like, oh, this advanced society really is uh, still kind of shitty like us in the end. So it's (laughs) like, we're, like, like trying to bring ourselves down, but at the same time, but, uh, you know, they're not so great either, you know. It's like Yale and Harvard, like, talking about, like, look, it's a good school, but at the same time, like, (sighs) whatever. (laughs) We're just as good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's the other thing is the exploration of culture, of different cultures, of different, like, ways of life. We always end up finding a way to kind of make a weird parallel to human, like, life because, you know, that's just what we're built into. I mean, it's really hard to try to really level a story about a culture that is so vastly different mm-hmm. than ours. Like, I think, I think one that does that very well is Descender mm-hmm. by uh, Jeff Lemire and uh, Dustin Nguyen. And the thing that makes that book really interesting is it does take place on a lot of planets, right? And there, But there is a lot of space travel. But the thing that always gets me is the the vast difference between the, the all of the living creatures and the robots in that book. And I don't want to give away that book because, man, oh man, if you get a chance to read that, it is probably one of the best sci-fi books I've read in years. Um, but the the way that Lemire and Nguyen kind of show how these creatures exist similar to humans but like in a in a way that is like the, the robots themselves are way ab- above and beyond in a lot of ways it it, it works to try to f- remind us yes we are small in this universe we aren't the end-all mm-hmm. be-all of creation of whatever that is um and and to see how these other races and people live in the universe like they do a good job of not saying oh, everyone's pretty much the same it's just we all have different morals and ethics it's like no nah, there's a little bit more to mm-hmm. it than that um i i do appreciate that about that book that's
1: been, continually been on my to-read list. So one of these days, one of these yeah, days, yeah, you
0: gotta yeah, you got to bump it up because that new book of is oh, right. coming out, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be good. <laughs> but I, I think there's, I mean, I don't know, like, how much deeper we could necessarily go i don't know if you guys had more comics you wanted to necessarily talk about to right. see like to explain like here's a good example of a book that kind of executes this idea that we've been talking about um and we don't have to necessarily <laughs> turn into a listicle or whatever but uh i do want to hear what other options you had because i wrote down some like all of the alien comics are kind of, kind of fit this, but it's, they're more of a horror element. Like you guys don't go out in space because it will fucking kill you. That's like the moral <laughs> of the majority of those. Uh, and I, I enjoy that because I think that there is like that horror element of space is always going to be <laughs> there in any of these books, right? Like the worry that your ship's going to break down in the middle of the space, the worry that you're going to come across some unknown toxin and it's, you know, humanity just can't deal with it. Um, I do appreciate that because that, It fits. It fits naturally into the medium. And that could just be me having read a ton of sci-fi and understanding the horror tropes. But I think the Alien books work really well to say, like, hey, we're not the top dog. Right? Like, this, these things will just mess you up, and there's really nothing you can do about it. I, I like that. I really enjoy that about the alien books. And it, it always kind of makes me feel weird when an alien book in particular takes place on a planet, mm-hmm. because I feel like those stories are best executed, uh, with some exception, because I know Nick's going to come up and hear this episode, and he's going to just write me an essay about how I'm wrong. But... Uh, I think that those books work really well when they're in the confined space of a spaceship or a sta- or a space station because there's only so many places you can go, whereas the alien seems to be able to get everywhere. Humans can only get so many places. Um, and that adds to the suspense on top of just being in space where at any time things could go wrong, like I said before. Um, but yeah, it, what, what do you guys think? What other books are you thinking about when you're talking about these big space cosmic things? You know, I mentioned... Um Jim Starlin's
1: Warlock. I also think that the, um, uh, what's the first one? Is it Infinity Crusade or Infinity Gauntlet? The Infinity Gauntlet, um, is a good book like that because it kind of, it just is set in the middle of the vastness of space where all the action kind of takes place and it does deal with those huge cosmic concepts, you know, like the Infinity Stones, Infinity Gems and all that. Um, you know, I mentioned Kirby, I think New Gods, obviously it is a space opera Mm -hmm. in the Grandest Sense, the Galactus Trilogy, the three issues that they did for Fantastic Four. I think it's yeah. issues 48, 49, and 50. I think I'm right there. Um, again, it's set on Earth, but again, dealing with cosmic concepts, I think it's a good execution of that. And a more recent book, uh, Omega Men by Tom King and Barnaby uh, Begenda. That's a book we were talking about using science fiction in space exploration as a metaphor for mm-hmm. foreign policy or religion or war. That book does that very, very well. I think that's one of the better examples in recent memory of a, a good book uh, set in space like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first off, Mike, I want to bring up uh, Alien versus Batman, because who's the top dog there? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Also, I don't know if that takes place on the ship or uh, just—I don't know where it takes. I I know it's a thing. I never read it. I don't. I
0: don't -hmm. think it matters where it takes place because it's called Alien versus (laughs) Batman. (laughs) The
2: focus of the story is
0: space. I don't think you're right. It's just (laughs)
2: Batman. Because, the, yeah, yeah. are there Predator comics as well? Because I know there's Alien versus oh, Predator. Oh, plenty. Plenty okay.
0: of Predator comics, yeah.
2: Because they're they're technically aliens as well, but they always, like, come to Earth, right? To hunt or something.
0: Well, the the Predator books, from what I've read and what I've seen, you know, they usually take place on a planet, or sometimes they're traveling through space, like, they're hunting people down, but for the most part, I think they're on a planet, or, or they come to Earth through a portal or something, I don't know. Nick is more of the expert here, so I'm going to not try to speak about it any
2: further. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I most of the, most of the space books that I like to read are ones where, it, honestly, I'm still like a 12 year old on the inside. So I'm like, I want action, I want battle, which is why I still read Shonen Jump. But um, at the same time, like, I like it. I also kind of like when. Uh, You know, sort of like space books do that kind of Doctor Who feel where they're like, oh, we're going to go visit this place because we're going to go choose something and explore another world. It's like, oh, and then something happens. But at the same time, don't let this experience sort of bring down the wonder of this world or the wonder of of learning about it. And uh, I think Dan Slott's Silver Surfer Mm. reminded me so much of Doctor Who. It was. Yes. Yes. And, uh.
0: With Mike Allred's art, too. Like, it just... It all clicked, and it felt like a Doctor Who book.
2: And, like, you know, there's a lot of that with... Especially with um, Ion, which was a miniseries that took place right before the Sinestro Core War, I think back in 2008 or 2007. You know, he was going around, because he was like, he's like, I'm now... These, this entity, I'm like the top, I'm the I'm basically the power, the battery power, so I have to step up and basically be the big stick in the universe, but he still goes around and is learning his place in the core. He's not just a soldier, but at the same time, he's still learning about other planets and things like that for a brief moment then they, they ground it, but um, I think specifically in the lead up to Sinestro Core War when Hal Jordan's going around, he's finding the new um, colors of the spectrum which was really cool and seeing the differences on the way not only aliens perceive the Green Lantern core, but then also how mm-hmm. they're following their own core and their own kind of mantra and stuff like that and who from all these different planets sort of come together to form these and then also just when they actually did the <laughs> the war of light was dope <laughs> Like, it was pretty sick because you also get to see, like, how these other aliens view, like, how they're going to create the manifestations from their rings. Like, there was a Sinestro Corps um, person that created the pack that she was, like, they were basically, like, kind of, like, wolves that she was raised by on her planet or whatever. And instead of, like, making just a beam or, like, a sword, she created the animals that she used to run with. And they would just attack people and stuff like that. Or, you know, some people would just, you know, oh, they would cool. just do the beam or they would, you know, Hal Jordan makes planes and Kyle Rayner makes like, you know, transformers and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think also when you have like galactic war books, it's really cool because you get to see sort of like the different kind of things like the Ranthanagar War, which was like, so Hawkman and Girl they're from one of those planets. I don't remember which one. Don't be mad. Um, but that was a huge scope of a war and it was like the six issue miniseries and it was really cool because you got to see you know these different kind of aliens and like you know hawk Hogman and hot girl they're just they're still wearing their goofy looking like helmets and stuff but they're like oh, i can breathe in space with this and i've got wings <laughs> and then the other the other planets got like jet packs and stuff that looks like from like the 1930s like it looked like they're fighting with the rocketeer mm-hmm. and right right you know but that was cool that was cool that's I think that's really fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Big, big, huge events like that, that happen in space. Again, it kind of comes back to that idea that this is so big, it couldn't take place Mm -hmm. on earth. Right. Like all the star Wars stuff fits kind of in that same mode. Right. Right. right.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think also if people are looking for like things that are just out there as well, they should also look into like, there's not a lot of um, manga that deal with actually being in space. There's, there's infinite numbers of manga where aliens come to Earth, but they stay on Earth because they want to be there, which, right. I mean, you could drown yourself in all those titles. But um, the ones that are actually in space, there's there's not that many, but mostly they're about, like, exploration, or, like, uh, there's one that's about a space force, which was oddly dark. Um, but I think it's really cool to see how, like, other cultures think of space and, you know, like, what kind of... <laughs> what kind of aliens there are i think my favorite though is probably kanikuman and kanikuman Nise or ultimate muscle where there's mm-hmm. just a lot of aliens that that they do come to earth but they show them out in space at first the main characters are from a planet called planet muscle and like mm-hmm. everyone yes. wears a wrestler mask <laughs> there it's given to them at birth and they can't take it off because if it gets taken off they can never wrestle again <laughs> right
0: of course right right
2: like who would think of that
0: <laughs> well, one thing that I was actually going to ask you about, I don't know if you have any experience with it, but I I don't uh, with the Gundam, like the Gundam oh, books. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz those take place in yes, space, right? Do. Or am... Okay, that's what I thought. So I, I don't know enough. I know... I, a friend of mine that I know, He's he's been telling me to read Gundam for years, and I just I haven't gotten around to it, because I don't know where to start, and yada, yada, yada. But, um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard good
2: things. People like that Gundam Wing stuff, yeah, right? Okay, <laughs> here's the important thing. We're going to do a quick breakdown of the Mobile Suit Gundam series. First of all, okay. the Mobile Suit Gundam series was originally original video animations. So, that meant that it started with the animations, and then they did the manga adaptations. And that's still kind of okay. a thing. So, okay. the... Whenever they come out with a new Gundam series and it's like an anime, just know that that's generally going to be the original. And then whatever the manga adaptation is, whoever the writer is, they're just kind of either following that same plot or, like, they might be like, oh, I think we should have focused on this a little bit more and yada yada. Gotcha. But with the Mobile Suit Gundam series, every single series is basically its own kind of um, collection. Like, it's its own kind of closed world thing, unless it specifically says, hey, we are a part of this other one. So, like, there's spin-offs of Gundam Wing, um, which the original is called Gundam Wing Endless Waltz.
0: <laughs> right.
2: But uh, in most of these Gundam series, they generally are just, like, alternate dimensions of each single one. Or some of them are, like, the future or the past of certain other ones. But for the most part, you generally don't need to know anything about the other series to watch, to watch or read one because okay. they're all kind of self-contained. As long as it says number one, you're probably fine. Okay. Um, like it's That's nice to, to know those other things, but a lot of people generally say you want to start with the first mobile suit Gundam, which was pretty recently re-released with like the original notes from the anime. And oh, cool. I did find it. At, you can find it at like Barnes and Noble and stuff like that and probably at your comic book shop. But I mean, it was a huge release. And um, I, I always tell people now, especially if they're going to watch it, I was like, just start with Iron-Blooded Orphans because it's a pretty new – it's a okay. pretty new – it's a newer series. <laughs> it's, a, it's a newer series, so the animation is nice and it's, it's pretty easy to follow. But generally, all of the Mobile Suit Gundams is there's some kind of either war or there's about to be because it's, there's just tensions between one or two factions and there's Gundams.
0: Right, giant mecha yeah. that will just fight each other. I there's, love it.
2: Yeah, there's generally – it's always this sort of tension of uh, kind of racism or classism. It's generally like earthlings versus colonists or people from Mars. And there's okay. always this kind of – there's always like a, a royalty or an upper crust people that look down on the other people. So, if like, if you were born on on Mars, you look down on people on Earth. Or if you are born on Earth, you look down on the colonists. And it gets to this <laughs> sure. point where they're just like, you know what – there's war, and uh, <laughs> and generally love the, it. the Gundams are either they're either like uh, this special type robot that is just like like a higher class, either like the reflexes of it are better for the pilot, or it's made out of a special metal like Gundanium. Yeah. It's a whole kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It sounds absolutely ridiculous, but you know what? You watch an episode or you read a chapter two, you're in. So
0: I've heard, like I said, I've heard very good things about it. So you know what? Like, maybe one day.
2: It's no less ridiculous than Voltron, okay? <laughs> okay right, so if you're watching right. the Netflix Voltron series, you're not better than Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I love Voltron oh, cool. as well. I just want to throw that out, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
0: understandable. Um, well, I guess, yeah, I I... Final thoughts on on space comics, I guess? I know we kind of went deep (laughs) into Gundam really quickly, but um, I... I'm I'm running out of tape in my brain. So what are you guys' final thoughts on uh, Space Comics?
1: (laughs) I I think there's more out there than I realized. I think this discussion has uh, expanded my cosmic consciousness in the way those comics have, you know? So it's good to know there's no no limit out there of uh, Space Comics.
0: Yeah, and Renee's list is insane. I'll make sure that it is in the show notes so you guys get ready for a ton of recommendations if you want something.
2: Yeah, and I didn't put specific, like, series or issue runs because some of them I'm like, I'm just aware that it's out there. You know, and so there's just a whole lot of variety. And if you see, Mike, I hope you leave in the question marks. <laughs> cause I am like I it will. means that, like, th- I know that there's something about space in there, but I'm not entirely sure if it's there. And I also well, don't know. And for Space Dandy, I think Space Dandy, as well as Mobile Suit Gundam, I think they were originally uh, video, like, animes first and then yeah. manga. Yeah. So that's why they are I'm like, question mark. I don't
0: know. That's all right. That's all right. I'll, le- I'll leave all that stuff in there, as is. Um... Yeah, like... Paul, you pretty much nailed it on the head, so I think we're going to wrap it up with that. So, you know, follow the show on Twitter. Follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow Renee at Rodriguer29. You can follow Paul at oh Polly. You can follow me at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we post comic news, art, sass, all sorts of things. I retweet, I'm retweeting a bunch of stuff from Emerald City Comic Con that Tia has been posting because it looks like it was a fantastic time for her. We're all going to be at C2E2, so expect a ton of C2E2 tweets coming pretty soon. You can also check out our Goodreads group over at Goodreads. We have over 500 members at this point yeah. And
1: a lot of great Discussions going on uh, We have a weekly Threads where people Share their thoughts On different topics This week's thread is If you worked At a comic shop Tell us about it um, You can also visit Our website IRCBpodcast.com We have Show notes For every episode We have Past episodes We have Our pronunciation guide For comic creators And merch You can buy be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about the show. We appreciate that. It um, helps spread the word. And if you haven't rated the show, why not? It helps us out. It's not hard to do. We appreciate everyone that's done it so far.
2: You can email the show with comments, questions, jokes, concerns, you know, etc. Whatever you think of, you can do that at ircb at org. Remember to subscribe on Patreon. Patreon.com slash IRCB podcast for exclusive audio and articles early access to top of my pile posts, and so so much more
0: including the new doom patrol series that's that's coming out pretty soon Uh, infinity shred is the best band in the universe they do all the music for our show thank you so much to those guys for being incredibly amazing for the last four years I want to say thank you to Xander who is a godsend and he's amazing he edits the show and he's the absolute best to say thanks to Renee and Paul for being on the show and thank you for listening to this episode of I read comic books until next time Comics are good, and so are you.
2: And that's the show! Is that, is that is that what you're saying like every single episode now?
0: Is, that's what I'm saying now because otherwise I'm gonna say until next time we will check you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies on the men, Jay. <laughs> yeah, t- exactly. I, just, I,
2: would, I would just love to like have someone's like listening or whatever. Just like I I'm so mean about this now because I just like I've seen a lot of videos where people do ASMR or whatever. it's just comics are good. <laughs> And so are you. <laughs> but you have to
0: like, you have to also have not drank anything for the last four hours, so your mouth is really dry, really and you're dry. like, and just like just. And you make these terrible, spitting mm-hmm. mouth and noises, and people are
2: just, just cringing at the end. They're just like, oh god, what have you done? All our viewers are just gonna tank because of that. They're like, oh, why have you? Some done people this? really like yeah. that.
0: I, you know, it's not for me, but you know what? Teach their own, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> comics I'm gonna, are good, and so yeah, are you. Yeah, comics are good.